This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Today we're talking with Dr. Ann Garrido, who's an associate professor of homiletics at the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis. She's the author of numerous books and articles in the field of church leadership and ministry, including the one we're talking about today, which is Rules of Engagement, Eight Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. That's from Ave Maria Press. You can find it at AveMariaPress.com or wherever you find fine books. Uh, Dr. Garrido, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, T.L., it's a pleasure to join you. Thank you. So I'm, I was struck by this book for a number of reasons. My, my listeners know that we've talked about this topic uh, a number of times, of how do we uh, conduct ourselves when we are online. And part of that is because this is something that strikes particularly close to home to me. Um, when I first became Catholic, of course, uh, I was the the embodiment of that meme that we've all seen of the guy sitting at the computer and the wife calling out and saying, honey, come to bed. And he says, I can't, there's someone on the internet is wrong. Uh, and I spent so much time just pouring into uh, crafting these, these arguments that were certainly going to be just the right thing uh, to win that person over. And it would turn into these battles. Um, and when a person was receptive to that, it was great. And when they weren't, I would be kind of snippy and and uh, be in some ways detrimental to the good through these conversations. Um, and I don't remember precisely, it was probably as a result of the prayers of my wife, honestly, but there was a day where I, in these conversations, just realized, you know what, when when someone is wrong on the internet, I don't have to engage in the argument. If I can't like decide and and use temperance and prudence in the midst of an argument, I I have permission to avoid that argument altogether. And and so for me, it, this is always a topic I like to come back to and I use social media very differently than I used to. The more I think about evangelization, the more I'm convinced that Long arguments on the internet is not the way that we're going to fix that. I'm with you. And your witness on that is is better than anything else I have to offer. So thank you for starting us <laughs> off on that note. That's wonderful. One of the things I love about this book, you lay out a really thorough case by giving us kind of a, a playbook, these rules of engagement and starting as a good Thomist would with that question of what's your purpose? Clarify your purpose online. So before we get into these eight steps, uh, tell me a little bit from your perspective, what was the impetus behind this book and how did you come to uh, to these specific eight rules out of all the rules you could have uh, coalesced around? Mm. Great question. Well, I would say teaching for a Dominican graduate school of theology, I have a particular passion around the question of veritas or truth. And what I realized in my own research and writing in that area was that more and more the conversations where issues of truth were coming up were happening more and more online. So it really was from the perspective of being a teacher and a parent um, that I was watching how the generation that was younger than me, how this was becoming so much a part of their daily life and that I could begin to recognize it in the future 
theology was going to be happening less and less in the classroom and less and less, you know, in the graduate school that I teach in. And it was more and more is going to be happening. Like a lot of the day-to-day stuff was going to be happening online. And I realized I need to understand better the dynamics that are going on there. I need to participate in them. And then I need to sit back and reflect on the experience um, in light of uh, my Christian tradition that I come out of. Mm-hmm. We heard this reading not too terribly long ago in Daily Mass, the question of being leaven, uh, that that parable that Jesus told of the small bit of leaven that leavens the whole dough. Um, and you mentioned this in the book as well, as we are called to be leaven in the world in all the places where we show up in the world, including in social media. And maybe it's because of the way that social media started out as this friend group, I'm old enough, you know, back when I was a kid, you had your top eight <laughs> on MySpace. Uh, it, it started out as, as a connection of the people you already knew. And there was, so right. it started out with this idea of camaraderie and, and familiarity and entertainment to some extent, even that we, maybe we think that, oh, well, this is entertainment. I don't have to really be on my guard or, or, or be careful with my words. Cause it's just my friend group. Yeah, I think um, I was there too. Yeah. And it certainly, it has evolved past that, but I don't think that our attitudes towards it have evolved past that. I think that is very sage. Um, I do think that oftentimes we perceive ourselves to be speaking with just a couple of people and we forget how, that it actually is a pretty public forum and that there's a lot of people who are reading into that. Um, and that at this stage in the game, I need to recognize that anything that I do online is, uh, is a public act. It's not a private act. Well, and let's even take that a step further because one of the, maybe it's the prevalence of cameras, uh, or maybe it is just the, the rotting effect of, of these conversations we've had on social media, but it seems like the attitudes towards people that we have on social media have crept more and more into the public eye in our normal everyday life. We have terms for it, right? You've got Karen and Kevin, uh, who are the people who, um, make big deals out of nothing and, uh, treat customer service workers horribly. And, and so we, I think, see these attitudes that were cultivated and made manifest on social media really becoming part of the wider conversation and culture as well. I suspect that's true. I I think it could go in either direction. On one hand, it might be like, this is what I've wondered is like, holy cow, were people talking about like this with their friends all the time? And maybe, maybe I need to clean up the act that I have with my friends as well. Or it also is that we've gotten so crass and the norms of communication have so deteriorated by what we've been exposed to through these new new modes of communication that they begin to leak into every aspect of our life, as you're saying, so that even our day-to-day interactions with family and friends might have more of these elements to them than they used to as well. I'm, I'm curious about that. I don't know. So each of these rules, these rules of engagement that you have, um, I'm reading them and I say, these are fantastic ideas and, and things to meditate on before I engage on social media, but they're also just really good conflict management tools in general, whether you're dealing with, uh, maybe you fight with your spouse too often, or you, you and your teenager go at it, uh, constantly, or maybe you're just a combative person or 
can't kind of step back from those challenges that are out in out in community. These are really valuable steps to walk through to make sure that the the presence that you are uh, presenting outline uh, online and in person, and the um, the person who you are is the person who you want to be and the presence that you want to show. Uh, that so maybe you don't have social media, maybe you got rid of it. These are still really important ideas to process through before you engage. Well, isn't that the truth? I mean, and that that is, I do think that the eight rules of engagement are actually eight basic rules of communication in every relationship that you're in in daily life. And the question that I was asking is, are there ways in which, uh, and I think you've hinted at this already, that social media simply magnifies dynamics that are present all the time in family life and in friendship and in our interactions with um, persons who are checking out groceries at the grocery store, right? But they, they are magnified in particular ways online by the algorithms, by the, um, the dynamics of the platform, by what it's capable of doing that have taken elements that are part of everyday regular conversation and just like blown them up um, and elevated some of the challenges that are present therein. So let's go through some of these rules now. Rule number one is to clarify your purpose. What is the the end result? What's the teleology, to use that theological word, uh, yeah. of your purpose? Why are you even online to begin with? Um, what are your, th- kind of walk us through that rule. And what you mean by clarify your purpose? How, how do I go about clarifying my purpose to be online? You know, I wanted to start with the idea of what is the purpose, again, not just of social media, but of communication in the first place. And to dig down a little bit, believe it or not, as Catholics, we have a pretty rich theology of communication, which I don't think we think about very often. But that for us, and Benedict XVI was great about pointing this out. That for us, the notion of why do we communicate is for the sake of building up community. And the sake of community is to teach us how to live in communion because communion is our ultimate telos, as you're saying, our ultimate end. Like each of us has been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a way of saying you've been baptized into the Trinitarian nature of God. God and God's very being is relationality, is relationship. You are meant for relationship for the very beginning. And that's what all of eternity is going to be living in relationship. And in some ways, all of earth is a boot camp to practice. What does it mean to live in right relationship with each other? Since we will be with each other for all eternity and communication community, communion are all integrally tied with each other. You can hear that common Latin root word underneath, right? And that, that if anything that I'm doing in communication in general, and then in particular communication online, isn't somehow tied with my intention to build up community, I had to do examination of conscience around that and say, hey, I don't think it's right for me to be online right now. Unless underneath everything I'm doing up there is the aim of community, building up community. If I'm up there and the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm posting are tearing down community, I just got There's a lot of reasons I could be up online, but all of them in some way, shape or form need to be linked to community. 
So let's push on this just a little bit further, because uh, I think in addition to clarifying our purpose for the purpose of building up community, we also have to have a, a positive right definition of community, because very often we see community as my tribe. And so some of these uh, engagements that could be more maybe combative could be seen through that lens. I'm, I'm building up my community as opposed to that other community over there. Uh, and it becomes an us versus them, uh, a, a me versus other. Oh, that's an interesting observation, Tiel. And I mean, I think also from the Catholic perspective, and again, with the idea of Catholic meaning universal, for us, ultimately, our communion is all people of all times and all places, right? I mean, that's who we're going to be sharing eternity. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm looking, I'm thinking of it in that broadest term, building up human community. So what are some of the ways that our behavior can can build up community, even in places where we find uh, maybe subtle or not so subtle disagreement? How can we, through this clarified purpose, engage in a way that builds community with that person I don't like or I don't agree with? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in some ways, all of the other seven habits of the book are fleshing out that question. Mm-hmm of what does, what does right relationship online look like and um, right relationship that aims toward bringing people into deeper and deeper communion with each other rather than fragmenting human community. And interesting for me, the first place that starts for me, let's <laughs> go back to that Dominican theme that I brought up earlier, it begins with truth. That for us, first off, we believe that God is Trinity. And then the other, another prized name that we have for God within our tradition is truth. So one of the most foundational elements that um, I would say undergirds everything else that we're going to do to try to build up community online is that first we want to make sure that the conversations, what we're reading up there, how we're talking with each other is grounded in a commitment to try to figure out what is real and what is true. And that we're trying not, we know that the first enemy of community is anything that um, is false. Mm-hmm. So that, that I would say is the beginning, the ground point for talking about truth or for community. So going from there, we know that our telos is not the same uh, as the, the social media. Their, the, yeah. their purpose for existing is different than our purpose for being on that platform. And many news organizations that are out there, many of the, the kind of, uh, places that put out sensational articles, their purpose is to give us as many ads in a short period as possible so that they can make as much money as possible. Every one of us has done that thing where we see an interesting thing online. Maybe it's not even a a news article. Maybe it's a kind of a gossipy clickbaity title with a slideshow attached. And the minute you click, you've got to go through 25 different slides. And every one of those has 45 ads. And for them, it's just a a thing of, oh, well, we showed you these ads. So we're going to get paid by all these ad people. It's not about disseminating information. It's about harvesting advertisement revenue. And so for us, not only to know our own purpose, but to be honest with ourselves about why other people are putting media out there so that we can be discerning consumers. Wow. Again, that is, I love the connection that you're making there to this question of telos. That for us as Christians, the purpose of any communication is to build up community, but that the, 
platforms themselves, even though some of the marketing language is around that, mm-hmm. underneath there seem to be either an ultimately different telos or at least a competing telos, yeah. which is the a bit there's a business model which is to make as much um, money as possible as my as my son who is so much wiser in some of these areas than I am and I should say I've learned a lot from um, in conversation with being <laughs> talking with millennial generation he always says to me and I know this isn't original to him mom if you if if you're not uh, if you're not paying for something, then you are the product, right? Yep. And so that online, what we are doing is, since we're not paying to be on these platforms, most of them per se, um, what it means is that what is being marketed here really is our attention. And so the way, only way that the platforms will make money is to keep us on there for longer and longer. And the things that they have found out keep us online for longer are so that they can show us more ads are things that one uh, get us hot under the collar so anger keeps us online for longer that's not in our best interest for building up community but it is in the best interest of the market the, the business platform right um feeding us things that they know will uh radicalize our continue to deepen what we already believe. So they're going to give us more and more and more and more and more of the stuff that we already are sympathetic to. Well, that's not broadening our view of communion. That's not helping us to enter into a wider human community. That's just keeping us, as you're saying, with the exact same people in our own echo chambers. So I, I love that you're connecting that at that level of telos, right? That what we are shooting for and what the platforms are shooting for there's some friction that's there and we're going to just have to be incredibly intentional and conscientious about how we're using platforms. Well, so let's stay with Telos for a second. Uh, Your second rule of engagement is to know your sources and you put it out there as a means of saying some sources are more reputable than others in terms of what information they're communicating to us. But I think even that uh, the question of, the reputability of those sources stems back to what is their purpose for existence? Uh, If their purpose for existence is to, uh, to create an echo chamber or to be sensational and get the click or to gen up uh, strong emotions, the chances are that that's not going to align with our ultimate telos of building community to find those more moderate sources that are looking truly, even though we all know that objectivity is impossible because we are subjects and we're always going to view things through a subjective lens. Those people who have the goal of objectivity at the very least are going to be more moderated in their speech and, and more conducive to us uh, in building a community and having discussions that move the needle of actually creating possibility for, for conversion and change in another person. Yeah. Because I, all of us have the potential. I, I think I've given up on the idea like, oh, that I have truth. What's the most important thing is I'm shooting for truth, right? I'm longing for truth. And if I can partner in seeking with truth with only reading from organizations that also have that as a goal, all organizations are going to make errors once in a while, right? Um, even in the reporting of news, as one of my colleagues says, you know, news is it's the first draft of history. It's trying to get in the immediate information. And we find out later, oh, there are more information that I didn't know. But the the key is, right, that the organization that we're reading from has the goal of trying to put out 
the most accurate information possible. Now you're, you're setting us up for the next rule because I hear the arguments already, but those news sources are, what's the word? They're biased, right? (laughs) Uh, And, and so that's the next thing is not only should we be aware of biases that exist externally, but we should also be aware of our own bias. One of the rules of logic uh, is the, the genetic fallacy that I'm going to dismiss an argument because of the place that it came from because of its genetics rather than whether or not it's true or not. One of the things I love about the concept of objective truth within Catholicism is that one object on one hand, we could understand this term of objectivity to mean like, well, reality, it is what it is. Right. And I can't me wishing it to be otherwise does not make it otherwise. I think there's tremendous wisdom, uh, my favorite stories is it's a fictitious story, I think, but it, it carries well the Catholic concept of um, a, a U.S. military ship that was off the coast of the foggy Newfoundland. <laughs> and it says, you know, the Americans get on and are like, I feel you will appreciate this living right up there next to Canada. But they said, um, you know, like, I demand to the Canadian authorities, I like, demand that you, you know, move in the direction of. 10 degrees to the north to avoid a collision with our ship. And the Canadian authorities get back on and be like, uh, no, we suggest you move 10 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Americans get back on and it's like, no, no, no. I've said, um, you know, we are the largest vessel in the Pacific. We are the, uh, we've got, you know, several different military, uh, you know, ships with us and so forth demand. And the Canadians get back on and said, okay, so we're a lighthouse, your call. Yep. Right. Like, it's just like, what do you, where are you headed at here? And no matter how big or mighty we think that we are, we all stand in danger of a terrible crash if we're not in contact with reality. So that's the first way in which we're talking about objectivity in the Catholic tradition. But then the other way in which we're talking about objectivity is kind of like for me as a professor, when I write my syllabus at the beginning of the semester, on the first page, I've got, these are my course objectives. And what that means is that we are shooting for something. This is what we're aiming at. Um, we could say, as one of my Dominican colleagues says, reality is like a bazillion volts of electricity. Most of us are dealing with about a 60-watt bulb in our brain. And even <laughs> if I've got, even if I'm one of those really smart people who've got a 100-watt bulb in my brain, in comparison to the whole of reality, that still isn't all that much. And so... In addition to reality being what it is and us desiring to know what really, really is, it's also the recognition that I'm never going to possess the totality of reality. There's always going to be more for me to learn, more for me to discover. There's not going to be alternative facts, but there could be additional facts that I don't have right now. And as you're hinting at, if I live in an echo chamber and I'm only in conversation with people who only agree with everything that I have to say, chances are I'm missing out on discovering the breadth of reality. So while I have a commitment online to only read things that are accurate, I also have a commitment online to read from a wider variety of perspectives than just the ones that I hold right now for the sake of putting me in contact with the breath of reality. I, when I was in, I I learned this lesson myself when I was uh, studying abroad in Bulgaria, it was 1999. uh, And this was right around the time that 
the the there was a NATO action against uh, Kosovo and Albania. There was that whole uh, the whole Kosovar uh, conflict, uh, and so I'm sitting right next to uh, rooming with in the same dorm room with Serbians uh, who were watching CNN and the BBC with us and saying, this is not the story that I'm getting from my parents. This is that, that successful bombing run that they just had. That was a school Uh, that, and looking at even people that we might consider to be somewhat reputable sources, uh, otherizing the people who are sitting right next to me. And that was a very eye opening event. Mm -hmm. And I've had experiences like that too. I spent part of my college in uh, West Africa in Sierra Leone um, and I was actually there for the fall of the Berlin Wall, and I was there oh, wow. for the opening up of um, the overthrow of apartheid, both of which sitting in the U.S. embassy watching the news with um, my fellow African classmates were received and uh, perceived just like how it was interpreted was in wildly different ways. And we all know, I, I think the richness of some of those intercultural experiences and how they've opened our world up to recognize like, oh, there is genuinely more than one way of looking at this. And that's one well, of the greatest potential of social media. Beyond even that, there's more than two ways to look at oh, this. Yeah. We get so, so dichotomized that we forget that there's a whole spectrum of reality out there that's being perceived and, and experienced in in thousands upon thousands upon per, perhaps billions of ways. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that I wanted to bring up just really quickly is you talked about um, alternative facts. And I see in that this almost this Gnosticism of, well, we know the secret truth conspiratorially um, that the rest of you are too blind to see. This is not something new. This is that old Gnostic uh, heresy coming back up and trying to reinsert itself into our present reality. Yeah. And this seems, it seems kind of biologically built into us in some ways. All of us are always, we're as humans, we're pattern seeking creatures, right? And we're looking for patterns and sometimes we're spotting them even where they, where they are not. Um, and we, we all get a certain buzz that comes from making new discoveries or new knowledge or putting together pieces of information that haven't been put together before. And um, when that gets magnified and online is one of the places where that can get magnified so easily, that's when we begin to get into dangerous zones. So it's recognizing like the seeking of patterns and the, the buzz that comes from new information and discovering new, these are really good things that are built into us, but they can get out of whack and conspiracy theory is one of the places that is definitely happening. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break as we're talking today with Anne Garrido, who is an associate professor of homiletics at the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis. She's the author of numerous books and articles in the field of church leadership and ministry, including today's book, Rules of Engagement, Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online, available on Ave Maria Press. Don't go anywhere. There is so much more to this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief in our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we're talking with Dr. Ann Garrido. You can find more of her work at anngarrido.com. That's G-A-R-R-I-D-O.com. Uh, there, you can find all of her books and, and uh, webinars and, and much more. Uh, Dr. Garrido is an associate professor of homiletics at Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri. Also does consulting, writes books, does seminars. I first met her at a, a conference at Notre Dame. Uh, you also are really actively involved in the Catechesis of the, of the Good Shepherd, which is a fantastic program, which we do not have time to talk about today, but good gracious, we should do that soon. Uh, it is the best catechetical tool for children, bar none, because it what it does is it says the best way to teach our children is not by putting them in a classroom with a book and talking, but it's by letting them do. And oh, it is so fantastic. Uh, but today I am biased in that regard too. Yeah. <laughs> speaking speaking, speaking of, biases, of bias. That's right. I am highly uh, biased for that program. Today we're talking about the book Rules of Engagement, Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. It's available on Ave Maria Press. Uh, and thank you so much for being here. I'm so delighted to be talking with you. So we've just talked about the first three rules so far. Clarify your purpose. What are you doing? Why are you online? Put that in front of your eyes and and like a good mission statement, weigh every action that you're doing online based on that purpose. Is this helping me get to my purpose? And if it's not, it's really not worth doing. Second, know your sources. We're all seeking truth. Let's make sure that we seek that together with other people who are seeking truth, using sources that are seeking truth. Uh, understand your own biases. So we talked about the biases of others. What does it mean for me to understand my own biases? I mean, I think that is one of the things that all of us are on the quest to, right? The way that I recognize that I only have a partial view of the whole and that there's always going to be more of reality for me just to discover. And part of that, the only way that I'm going to have that uncovered for me is by continuing to read and by being in conversation with other people, which is what begins to get to this fourth rule, isn't it? Mm -hmm. To be able to actually be willing to ask questions of others to find out about what maybe some of my own blind spots might be. So before we get there, um, I think that you're right, that that's one of the ways, because iron sharpens iron, we learn more about ourselves through engagement with other people. But I think before we even get to that place, um, that scripture says the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. It also says the Holy Spirit comes to convict us, right? And so I think we have to be in, in prayer and in conversation with the Holy Spirit so that we are willing to bend when it is time for us to bend, that that we're willing to see or or have uh, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to see when things are not quite uh, up to snuff in us. So I think back to my, my own conversion, right? I had certain biases against the sources that would, uh, would agree with Catholicism. Uh, I wasn't anti-Catholic by any means, but it certainly wasn't for me. And it was through that process of seeking truth, through that process of prayer, first and foremost, that made me able to have those conversations with people and accept when truth was presented to me rather than just kind of shutting up and putting up my guard and walking away, 
right? So the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, and then he leads us into community, uh, and sometimes simultaneously. But I think that that dedication to the Spirit is kind of primary for us. Yeah. And that prayer, the purpose, I mean, in some ways, prayer cultivates within us and an openness and a listening spirit so that where when we encounter truth, which oftentimes, as you're noting, happens through community. I mean, in some way, shape, or form, actually always is happening through community. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that we're going back there because if if it's if if our ultimate telos is the building up of community, the means by which we are actually converted and changed is also by means of community. Those two are not disattached, unattached. So we've talked on this show numerous times about valuing the person that we, the person is more important than the argument. And so rather than proving them wrong, I come into it with a goal to have unity with that person, right? Uh, Seeking in whatever ways, just like Paul at the Areopagus uh, or Areopagus, however you correctly say that saying, let me tell you about this thing that you've got right and give you a further perspective on it. I see that you're a very pious people. I see this, this uh, altar to an unknown God. Let me proclaim to you in truth what you worship unknowingly, this unknown God. Uh, rather than coming and saying, oh, well, you're wrong for having all these other gods. Let me tell you why. Yeah. One of the, th- the way that we do that is through your rule five to lead with curiosity. So share with me kind of your perspective on what does it mean to enter into these places of of disagreement leading with curiosity? So as we get into that, let me, maybe two caveats. One is to recognize, I'm not sure that the platforms themselves in their current iteration always have the capacity to hold the heft of the kinds of conversations that we want them to be able to have. You know, especially things like Twitter, where you're limited in the number of characters that you can type out. I'm not sure you're really going to be able to arrive at the deep truths of the universe in 180 characters or less. And so sometimes I'm wondering whether or not we need to move those conversations that need to be had into different forms. That might be something we could think about. The other thing is that social media, and I think you've hinted at this earlier, it could become a major time suck, couldn't it? where all the conversations that I'm trying to have are on there. And I I've appreciated some of what Francis has, Pope Francis has pointed out around, like, you know, make sure and Benedict too, make sure that it's not um, detracting from conversations IRL in your life. But though, so sometimes online when somebody's bringing up something controversial, I always have to ask myself first, is this the place where we can have this conversation? And do I have the time to actually get into this conversation right now? So those are my two caveats. I have a third caveat for you as well. Am I the person that's going to make the difference? Is, is the right. person I'm talking to going right. to be able to receive that from me? Right, right, right. And in this mode, in yeah. a public mode. Yeah, I love that too. But that all being said, I do think the purpose why these platforms exist in the first place was to try to build up a richer degree of communication with people who we might not otherwise be in conversation with. And so if I'm never willing to enter into conversation online around some titchy things, you know, that also, I would say, is kind of a 
I don't know, I wouldn't say an abuse of the platform, but a not taking advantage of what could be possible for us as Christians. And so when I'm going in, the first thing that I want to do, like you said, lead with curiosity. I want to find out a little bit more about why the person holds what they, what they hold. Because a person is more than just a head on the screen. The person is a whole body with a whole story behind it. And if they're posting regularly about something, it must mean something to them. And I, I would be curious to know how they arrived at the conclusion they arrived at. I don't necessarily need to agree with the conclusion, but I am interested in them as a person to understand a little bit more about what led them to hold that. And so being curious about their story as a person, I think is a great doorway in. So saying something like, you know, it sounds like this is really important to you. Tell me a little bit more. Or um, I'm wondering if you've had some experiences that have really shaped your thinking about this. I'd be curious to hear what those experiences are. Those kinds of things, I think, open a door for a more healthy kind of conversation to happen. Let's go back to St. Thomas, because in the Summa, one of the things that St. Thomas does is he always starts with his opponent's argument. And he didn't set up a straw man. He, he gave the strongest possible argument, sometimes even better than they would give themselves, uh, before he would then counter and say, well, I, I, I rather say this. Um, he didn't get there by creating that argument in his mind and then representing it. He had to come to a place where he engaged with that argument, where he listened and asked questions about that argument to where he could then present it in the way that that person would have presented it. And that's such a really good conflict resolution uh mode to be able, when you're in an argument, to say, well, is this what you're meaning by that? Is this your intent? Is this your purpose? And have that person say, no, you're, you're missing my point still. This is, this is what I mean. And allowing them to clarify and continuing to do that until we come to a complete, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I, I can at least state your argument well. Yeah. We want to be able to summarize another's argument in such a way that they, they would be able to after we've summarized, would be able to nod and say, yeah, that's the gist of what I was trying to get across. Mm -hmm. um, because as we know, people rarely change their mind on topics that mean a great deal to them. But one of the things we do know from research in the field of conflict management is that the only time a person changes their mind on something of substance is if they feel that their own concerns have been heard first. Yeah, And I do, I love... I'm going to actually, I've got a quote near me of St. Thomas that I just want to read here, which is the attitude that I try to go into when I, when I have conversations. Thomas says, we must love them both, those whose opinions we share and those whose opinions we reject. For both have labored in the search for truth and both have helped us in the finding of it. Mm -hmm. And if I perceive my interlocutor Again, grounded in the concept that both of us are looking for truth. If I don't actually, if I, if I can't rest in that conviction that both of us are seeking truth here, it's very, I'm not even sure I want to get into the conversation, especially online. But if I can trust this is a person of goodwill who genuinely is seeking truth, then I do think I owe them a debt of gratitude because um, there's something interesting that could happen here and that both of us could be opened to a reality that's bigger than what either of us is capable of seeing right now. 
Yeah. And, and in that, we have to come to a place where we understand that we are having a discussion, having a disagreement in good faith. Uh, and that's, there are people out there who are having arguments just for the sake of arguments. They're not discussing mm-hmm. in good faith. Uh, that's rule six, right? Think about and talk about what's the intent of this other person? What's my intent? What's the impact of their statements? What are the impact of my statements? Uh, because if we are arguing in good faith, it should be about the idea and not about the person. Mm-hmm. And yeah we should communicate that idea in the way that will be received by that person. And if we're causing distress uh, or anger in that other person, we have to ask the question whether or not we're effectively communicating our thoughts. Yeah. And I think one of the things that so frequently happens, it happens in everyday communication, like we talked about earlier, but especially it's so easy for it to happen online is the tangling of intent and impact. So oftentimes, if I have a good intention for being up there, which is, you know, to show you clarity or to help to make the world a better place by, you know, revealing the truth I have to bear, um, I will tend to think if my intention is good, then my impact is inherently good. And if the other person tells me it's not, then there must be, they're, they're overly sensitive. They don't understand, like they shouldn't be hurt. They shouldn't be offended by what I've said because I have good intentions, The weird thing about it is that if we are hurt or offended by something that we've read that somebody else has posted, we actually are pretty sure they have bad intentions. (laughs) And if their intentions did happen, and if if it wasn't bad, malicious intention, at least they have some sort of chronic character flaw that makes them blind to what everybody else around them knows. They're lacking basic common sense and human decency. And so one of the things which we can do is just to disentangle intention and impact and to test, to be able to say, I know my intentions here are good, but tell me how what I'm doing is landing on you. Or also to say, I know I was impacted negatively when, by that meme. And I'm guessing that wasn't actually, it wasn't, you didn't set out to hurt me, but tell me a little bit more about why this is important to you. And allowing both of those, we don't have to pick one or the other. Both of those can be true at the same time. It's true. I can have good intentions and my impact might not be good. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I could be hurt and the other person might've had good intentions. You gave a Thomas quote. I'm going to give a quote that's of a person far less reputable, a George Bernard Shaw. Uh, he has this quote that the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. Ah, I love it. And, and there's this idea that, well, I have, I have, and I tell this to my children all the time, expression is not the same thing as communication. Well, I expressed, okay, but how is that expression received? Because if your idea didn't end up in their head, you didn't communicate. You just vomited your expression on them. And, and I think that sometimes we forget that. Well, I, I, this is clear as day. I know what I meant by this thing when I put it out there. Isn't that the truth? That, that, that could summarize the entire perplexing mystery of online in, <laughs> I mean, that, that you, you, you nailed it, that there is a lot of expression out there and not necessarily a lot of communication. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You've helped me to think about this in a different way. That is exactly what is going on. So with that, uh, and this also works in face-to-face interactions, when you feel that pang, 
uh, we talked to engaged couples about this when, back when we were doing marriage prep, is to say, rather than to get offended and to get angry and to start fighting back, to stop and kind of break the moment and say, wow, that really, that really kind of hurt. It was, is that what you meant to do? Is the, is, am I understanding correct? Is this what you meant to say? Uh, one, it yeah. gives uh, two possibilities. The first possibility is that person says, uh, oh, I did not mean that at all. The other is to show if if I did mean that, oh, wow, I didn't intend for it to go this far and yeah. allows them to kind of reevaluate that hurtful thing. Well, and what you're describing there is something, I don't think I talked about it much in this particular book, but it is a strategy that can be used online as well, which is to make emotion an explicit part of the conversation. So to stop pretending that everything that we're doing online is only a pure debate of fact, but that because we're people and we have bodies, there's actually emotion that is being engaged here as well. And naming the emotion that is present in the dialogue is a way of helping to de-escalate some of the tension in it. So to be able to say, wow, it sounds like not just that this is really important to you, but it sounds like this has been a really painful topic for you. Mm-hmm. Or it sounds like there's been a lot in your life that's been really hurtful in this regard. Um, or that this this is, I'm just testing, it sounds like I'm hearing fear in your voice. Yeah. Or that this is kind of scary. I know from, and bringing it to myself also, when I, when I see you post things like this, I feel a little bit frightened because this is what I'm wondering or this is what I'm worried about. And bringing out some of just... That, that emotion is actually part of what's driving these conversations and making them tense and making that a bit more explicit. The book is Rules of Engagement, Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. You can find it at AveMariaPress.com or wherever you find your books. Uh, there are two rules that we didn't go over, and all of them we just kind of touched on. There's so much more. I really encourage you to go pick up this book. Maybe get uh, several copies and read it together with your friend groups in community. Hey, that's an idea. Uh, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh my gosh. Thanks to yourself. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Ann Garrido, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you just can't get enough, I've got good news. There is more. Each and every week, we record extra segments and make them available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we give them a couple extra questions with a guest and a deeper dive into the topic. If you want to learn more about that there at OutsideTheWalls.com, just click the Patreon link there in the navigation bar. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by linking the the magisterium uh, to the Scriptures, to the fathers and doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. 
After the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then you will stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, We ate and drank in your company, and and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south, and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. And we have a tendency, I think, when we read Scripture, specifically these kinds of Scriptures, to view ourselves as the ones who are included and kind of use that Scripture as a way to warn others uh, of, you know, you got to get in, you got to get in correctly, otherwise you're going to be on the outside even though you think you're in. But the truth is that Jesus is saying this in answer to the question to the person who asked, and we are that person. He's speaking to us and reminding us that just proximity to the truth isn't enough. Just proximity to Jesus, even if we are regular mass goers, isn't enough. What fruit are we bearing, and are we ourselves growing in holiness and sanctity? More than just participating in the sacraments, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to come into us in such a way that our lives are moved along that path to holiness so that Christ would recognize us, right? Are we hanging out with Jesus in a way that that he will recognize us at the end of all days? And so for us, I think that this is the question, how am I striving to enter through the narrow gate? If it's just through culture war, if it's just through having orthodoxy, the right opinions on things, but we're not actually walking with Christ, then we have to really evaluate ourselves. Uh, Am I growing in my union and my unity with Christ in the Eucharist and also Christ in his body, the church? Am I recognizing Christ in my neighbor? Going back to that whole uh, parable out of Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you've done that to me. Are we treating not only the, the, the poor and the marginalized as we would treat Christ, are we treating the person that we're speaking to on the internet as if that person is Christ? Uh, or are we just falling into our, our, our human habits of dismissing the other person or segmenting ourselves off and not really taking the time to enter into those uncomfortable places? Um, one of the things I like to say when I'm having these conversations with my children is it's the crazy saints that get remembered. You look at the lives of St. Francis of Assisi, St. Maximilian Kolbe, uh, who have taken extreme steps to identify Christ and to, to build up the church in 
really tangible external ways. Are we doing that? Are we taking the time to grow in that holiness? And so this calls us really clearly to strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many who will attempt to enter will not be strong enough. So I'll say right now, I am not strong enough. I need the graces of God to make me strong enough. But nevertheless, I'm going to strive. And and I think Paul uses similar language when he says, we press on for the goal of the high calling, right? So we're putting our energies towards it, knowing that our energies aren't enough. And yet even so, we still will strive for that. Uh, Along those same lines, we're going to move now to our reading from church history, which comes from uh, Thomas Akempis from The Imitation of Christ. And looking from that perspective of, of maybe feeling the judgments of God through Christ's statements there, right? Strive to enter through the narrow gate so that we don't end up being the one where he says, I, I don't know where you're from. And so St. Thomas, rather Thomas Akempis is taking us in that same direction saying, you thunder your judgments upon me, O Lord. You shake all my bones with fear and dread, and my soul becomes severely frightened. I am bewildered when I realize that even the heavens are not pure in your sight. If you discovered iniquity in the angels and did not spare them, what will become of me? The stars fell from heaven, and I, mere dust, what should I expect? Those whose works seemed praiseworthy fell to the depths, and I have seen those who were once fed with the bread of angels, delighting now in the husks of swine. There is no holiness where you have withdrawn your hand, O Lord, no profitable wisdom if you cease to rule over it, no helpful strength if you cease to preserve it. For if you forsake us, we sink and perish." But if you visit us, we rise up and live again. We are unstable, but you make us firm. We grow cool, but you inflame us. All superficial glory has been swallowed up in the depths of your judgment upon me. What is all flesh in your sight? Can the clay be glorified in opposition to its maker? How can anyone be aroused by empty talk if his heart is subject in the truth to God? The whole world cannot swell with pride the man who is subject to truth, nor will he be swayed by the flattery of all his admirers if he has established all his trust in God. For those who do all the talking amount to nothing. They fail with their din of words, but the truth of the Lord endures forever. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.